Happy Sabbath. We haven't started yet. The countdown is still going. Just wanted to pump you up before we get there. Happy Sabbath, everybody. It's so good to be with you. God has been good. What do you say? Amen to that. So this morning, here at Spring Meadows, we'd like to remind you that our growth group on discipleship continues on Thursday, 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. We are going through, I think it's our fourth into fifth week. So you could still kind of join in, see where you're at. We're probably um, into the second section of, of three sections in the book that we're going through. Hope you could come out and enjoy. Also, we have started, and it won't be posted here any longer, but you will find that um, right here in the sanctuary, we have two adult Sabbath schools, one on the left, one on the right side. But we also started a uh, beginner's beliefs course right here in the middle of the sanctuary you could join in. We'd highly recommend that any new members could join us so that you could get acquainted with the beliefs of the church, but also for those members who just want to explore the beliefs altogether, you are more than welcome to come. Also, leadership training. When does it happen? September 11, after service, after potluck. Well, not potluck, but you will have food served for you when you decide to stay. We'll hang out afterwards for the training. Won't be taken more than an hour and a half after that. All right, so we're going to invite you also to be reminded that there are rehearsals that have started on Sabbath for the Christmas Mystery Program coming up. That happens from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, before every Pathfinder and Adventurer meeting. All right, so there is a heads up. And the last one will be this will be uh, the church retreat in Camp Kalakwa. If you go onto your website, the website of the church, and I have it right in front of me because I know that the applicability works out, right? If you go onto the church website, springmeadows.org, you can go under ministries, and under ministries, you're going to find uh, church retreat. Once you get into church retreat, you can add the following items to the cart, Right, whether you uh, you can do lodging, the attendees, as well as as Nate secured this morning with me, whether you want a cart or not, so that'll be included. Also, how many meals and so forth and so forth will be there for you. So I'll repeat it again: um, it is available for you for the Camp Kalakwa Camp Retreat. You'll be able to register this morning. You could do it right now. You could do it afterwards and so forth. It's ready to go just for you. Before we get going this morning, I would like to see if we have any prayer requests just this morning as we start. We'd like to lift up your hands. Just the Lord is notified by us in a sense. He already knows, just wants to know. If you got any prayer requests this morning, join me this morning as we pray. Father, you see the hands that are up, whatever requests that are there in our hearts unspoken. We ask that you kind of reply in the midst of this service and that we're able to see a response that we can get back to knowing that we can trust you. Father, this morning as we come, we ask that you may please help us to listen to what your word will tell us and that we are apt to respond to it when it calls. We ask for a blessing upon us and as we give you a joyful response, may we have peace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many blessings. 
Happy Sabbath, the church family. <laughs> Please join us in singing our first song, Blessed Be the Lord God Almighty. Psalms 8, 3, and 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? This verse just reminds us that our physical bodies are nothing more than dirt. By ourselves, we have no value. But God looks at us and says, I came to the earth for you. I came to the earth for the worst of the worst, for the lepers, the tax collectors, the deaf, the blind, the mute. He says, I came to the earth and I died for you, that you can have salvation in me and that you can have value. So today, as we bring our prayer request cards forward, uh, just remember that God is waiting there with open arms and he's waiting for you guys to give all your burdens to him.
Today, uh, Dr. Pritchett was supposed to be up here, but they had a medical uh, issue last night. They are doing fine today, but I ask that you would keep their family in your prayers. Our scripture this morning is based on Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? God gives us these promises to help encourage us, to give us strength to get through the week, to face the challenges that we're going through right now in life. And if you can truly say, the Lord is your helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? You're off to a good start. Keep that in mind this week. I pray, Lord, uh, pray that you would also um, pray for our brothers and sisters here in the church as we know that there are issues that some are going through that we won't even begin to imagine what some may be facing. But for those that are silent requests, we will keep those in our prayers as well too. At this time, let us bow as we go before our Lord and Savior in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the King of the universe that you can give us these promises such as Hebrews and there in verses 5 and 6, Lord, that give us the promise of what you will do for us if we will only trust and put our faith in you, Lord. We know today we are facing many issues and obstacles and problems, Lord, that we don't even begin to have an answer for. But we know that you have more than a thousand ways, Lord, to answer these prayers, the challenges that we face, and the problems we're going through, and all we need is just one answer, Lord. Please hear each prayer that is being sent up today, those that we're praying for, that we will trust in you and let you answer the question, not in our time, but in your time, Lord. As we know with you, everything is done according to your will, is perfect and just. May we each one be prepared and ready to go home with you when you come, Lord, as we see signs all around us that your soon coming will be here. May we each be ready and prepared so that we can go home and spend eternity with you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. children it's time it's time for you to come and help reagan and micah have the butterfly nets for you to go around and collect the children's offering so kids make your way to the front and come grab one of these from them and then we'll come over here and sit and listen to a story from our uncle garson <laughs> priceless treasure god knows me god hears me god is my comfort i am his and there's nothing better forgiven and chosen forever i am a treasure
always makes a way. I am his and he is mine. I am the prize he came to find. I am a priceless treasure. God knows we got his, we got his, my comfort. I am his and there's nothing better. Forgiven and chosen forever. I am a treasure. Hello, boys and girls. Are you having a good day? Who can guess what I have here? It's round. What's inside this bag? A soccer ball. Or a football. This is called also football in other countries. You know why? Because it's a ball that you kick with your foot. And it's the number one sport in the world. Even one of our pastors plays it. His last name starts with B and ends with Arientos. <laughs> I love the sport. Let me tell you that when I was a kid, my father bought me a soccer ball. Two months later, it had a tear. So I fixed it. And it came so good that I kept fixing it. And it lasted me for a long, long time. Let me tell you that I have a group of friends, and we play regularly. When we begin to play, we had a little problem. We didn't have a referee. Do you know what a referee is? It's a person that helps you to keep the rules. So in the court, there is a line. And sometimes the ball is in, other times it's out. Other times it's on the line. And one guy say, oh, it was in. And the other say, oh, no, it was out. So they pulled the ball this way, and they pulled it the other way. They pulled it this way. So we needed a referee. What do we do? What can we do when we don't have a referee? How can we play if we don't have a referee? Or we could be honest, right? 
we can all have an agreement and say, okay, we don't have a referee, but we are going to be honest. We're going to have integrity. Our pastor is going to talk some about that later. None of us really have 100% integrity, only Jesus. But Jesus inspired people to have integrity, to be honest. So in the game, we had one player. I mean, we all had an agreement that we're going to be honest. But one player was not in the same page. Sometimes he will jump to hit it with the head, and he will go like this and hit it with the hand. Can we do that? And his name is, uh, start with an S <laughs> and ends with, excuse me, I think I have a call from my wife. I, should I take it? Hello? Okay. She's saying that we should not say names unless it's something positive. <laughs> Should I listen to her? Yes, right? Okay, honey. Oh, but this morning you, call, you told me that I was gaining some weight. Okay, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so back to the subject. We, we can have fun playing sport without a referee. If we are honest, we respect other people's space, and we all have a great time at the end. When you are tired, what can you do? Play soccer. When you are rested, you play soccer. <laughs> when you have a little free time, you play again. So what did we learn today? That we can play without a referee. And we can be honest in the game. You like basketball, right? Better? I like dribble. Dribble, right. But then the basketball court also has a line that we need to respect, the in and out. Right? Boys and girls, you're being very great. Thank you for listening. Remember that you are all handsome, good-looking, smart. And remember that God loves you. Thank you. For listening. offering is going for church budget. And I don't know if you've thought about this before, but when you think about the church budget, what it goes for, how many times have you been blessed in your life? A good home, food, shelter. Yesterday, the Lord blessed in our family. My wife and I were married 32 years yesterday. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. That woman must be almost... I know what some of you are thinking, that woman must be a saint, so you, you can continue thinking that thought process.
But, you know, the Lord's also blessed us many things in our families. Healthy kids, a long marriage, and yet he keeps giving and giving and giving. Well, think about our church here. Look what the Lord has blessed us here in this church. We're hoping to soon have the church expansion finished and opened, providing us additional chapel, a choir room, church offices. He's blessed us umpteen times over here at our church. So keep the budget in mind today as we still have bills to pay, we have a mortgage to pay, and we pray that uh, you'll, he, you will continue to ask the Lord to bless us as we have so much more work to do in this community to be a witness and a lighthouse to those in our surrounding community. This time I'd like to ask the deacons to please stand and we'll have the prayer for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for blessing us, blessing this church, Lord. Take the tithes and offerings that are here that you've so wonderfully given to us with income that we can advance and further your work. But Lord, we need your help. We need you to bless every penny, every dollar, every bill that comes in, Lord, to expand it and stretch it as far as it will go so that we can finish your work so we can go home with you in Jesus' name. Amen.
It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? Let's pray. Gracious Father, may you increase as I decrease. May our souls say, it is well. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story about a gentleman, a gentleman who went up to D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist in the late 1800s, who founded the Moody Bible Institute, a famous renowned seminary. The gentleman went up to him one Sunday after he had preached to a large group and told him, I don't like how you preach. (laughs) He said, I've heard better, Pastor Moody. The man told him that he just didn't like that he didn't use proper English a lot of the time. As a foreigner, I understand this problem. He told him he didn't like how he preached, he didn't use good English, and he told him that he really didn't like that he did a bunch of altar calls all the time. This was in the days, in the olden days, where you had to speak to someone face-to-face and tell them what you didn't like. Not like today, you know, today where there's cell phones, social media, computers, Instagram, and all these wonderful ways of telling people what you think. It's called internet courage. It wasn't in those days. It It was in old days where you had to talk to people. But back to the story. Moody, who had quite a large following, he had evangelized for Christ all over the world. He humbly said, yeah, I know. I I know I must keep working on my preaching. But tell me, how do you do altar calls? The man replied, I don't. Moody said, well then, I like my way better. You see, there's always a Monday morning quarterback, isn't there? There's always someone, just like this man who said, I've heard better. There's always someone, somewhere. Actually, I believe if I could coin the phrase, this is the fantasy land of Ur. The land I call Ur. What is this land? This is the land where um, there isn't, it's not about social media platforms or anything like that. It's something you might recognize in a different way. It's the land of Ur. This is where the preacher preached better somewhere else. This is the land where uh, everything and everyone is better, where the previous quarterback threw farther, where the um, land where he is rich, er, 
the land where she is prettier, the land where his kid is faster, their kids are smarter, she's a better singer, he's ripper, he, she's thinner, the family photo, their family photo is better, she's taller, you're getting the picture of her, the anniversary trip was to a more exotic place, the vacation was farther, their vacation, and on and on. The land of Ur is not a place where any of us really want to visit. No. But it is a place where many choose to live. Some have said that comparison is the stealer of all joy. I believe that's true. But I want to invite you to a different land. I want to invite you to a different land so that you can leave the land of Ur behind. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Thank you, Elder Mike, for reading from Hebrews 13 this morning. We're going to take a look at this passage a little bit deeper. Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, by so doing, some have unwittingly unwittingly, man, this English is hard. Some have unwittingly entertained angels. (laughs) Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content. Let your soul be well with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews spends the first 12 chapters reminding us to hold on to faith and to inspire us and to inspire each other to persevere. Pastor Brian has been preaching about these verses for the past few weeks. He's walked us through the perspectives on how to persevere, how a healthy Christian perseveres. But then we get to chapter 13, and the writer takes a turn. As we come to this last chapter in the book of Hebrews, the writer reminds us that Jesus is better. Jesus is more superior than the angels. Jesus is greater than all the Old Testament figures. It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews spends the last 12 chapters depicting a better land. What do I mean? The writer walks us through the important Jewish pillars 
and lays out his case, Jesus is superior to all of them. He tells us that Jesus is better than the angels, better than the prophets, better than the Old Testament, better than Moses, better than the law, better than the old government covenant, better than the old priesthood. He is better than the tabernacle in the wilderness. He is better than the temple in Jerusalem. He is better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. Why does the writer do this? The writer sees in his people that there is a threat to faith. And he knows that he must refocus God's people. He sees that people are wanting to turn away from God or turn away from Christ. He sees people turning away from grace and wanting to return to a religious system that allowed them more control. The writer of Hebrews sees a threat. A religious system that gave them easy boxes to check off. But in the end, the system would leave them empty. What do I mean by a religious system or easy boxes to check off? I believe it's easier to have a to-do list or maybe a not-to-do list than it is to be vulnerable with Christ. It's easier to measure how many steps someone took on the Sabbath. Doesn't this sound pharisaical? easier to measure how many steps someone took on the Sabbath than to be honest with Jesus about our sins and our temptations and the things that ensnare us. It is easier to criticize someone raising their hands in a worship service than to understand what moved them to do it. It's easier to say what religion should look like than it is to see what God might actually want from us and for us. You see, the enemy, the enemy of grace insists on telling lies. Lies that make you believe that if you're loyal to Christ, you will lose everything. The enemy wants you to be convinced that you will lose your heritage, your friends, your material wealth, that you will lose the temple, you will lose the priesthood. He's trying to challenge those that had grown up with religious rituals and religious things, those things that had defined them, that had defined their faith. He's challenging them. The day my maternal grandmother and maternal grandfather got married. They were baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church. I remember talking to my nonna, my Italian grandmother. I remember talking to my nonna about that experience and how hard it was for her because, you see, her family turned their back on her. She and her family had been raised Roman Catholic, the Italian way, 
And becoming a Seventh-day Adventist to her family was like she was joining a cult. And they were not willing to be at her baptism and some even not at her wedding. Her brothers told her, you'll give up everything. You'll give us up, your family, the people who love you and care about you, and all the religious traditions you grew up with. For what? Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that the Roman Catholic Church is the enemy. I'm saying that the devil wants you to hold on to traditions, whatever denomination that is, rather than hold on to Jesus. we got to be careful. The enemy of grace wants to make you afraid of losing everything so that you won't want to choose Jesus. I want to show you that the enemy might say you have lost. He's going to tell you the things you've lost. But I feel that Scripture tells you in Christ what you gain. I mean, how much have you lost in the last 18 months? The devil wants you counting your losses. He wants you counting your losses because he wants you stuck in the land of Ur. Don't lose your spot there in Hebrews 13, but turn back with me to Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. This is important. This, is, this was revolutionary to me this past week as I hit this passage. It hit me. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. All things by the word. I lost my place. All things through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, verse 4, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Wow. Did you catch that? It's those two little words in verse 4. Catch it. Having become. What? Pastor, what are you talking about? How is it that Jesus had become? Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. But you see, the beginning of the chapter says that Jesus was there all along. He's the one who was there when the worlds were made. So how did Jesus become better? It says, having become better than the angels. What? This is crazy talk. He never sinned. He was perfect. So let's agree that these two little words are not suggesting that Jesus improved in character. He did not go work out. He didn't go get ripped. He didn't become better in that way. So he didn't become better like you or me. 
So how did Jesus become better? It's written in the previous verses, but I missed it at first. You see, when you think of becoming better, when we think of becoming better, we think of us climbing up, improving ourselves, raising up, climbing the ladder. But Jesus was there at the beginning. He was the uppest of the uppest. He was the highest of the highs. He didn't start at the bottom and move his way up. He started in divinity and moved into flesh. He started in eternity and moved into time. He could hold the universe by just a word. It's in these verses that we see heaven's definition of better. It's in self-sacrificing, not elevating self. The world says, elevate self, whereas the kingdom of God says sacrifice. It's right there. The end of verse 3, when he himself purged our sins, the NIV says it in a different way. It says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He became known. He became the kingdom defined better when he made purification for our sins. He became kingdom known as the best because he died to save us. Satan wants us to substitute religion over relationship. The enemy wants us to substitute the land of Ur from the world standing than having a real relationship with Jesus. Please don't misunderstand me. I love our faith. I love our religion. I love teaching the 28 fundamental beliefs. I love it because I believe that we can teach these doctrines from the biblical perspective pointing to who God is and who Jesus is and how everything is about his love for us. The sovereignty of God is beautiful if you see it in our faith in the Seventh-day Adventist church. It is beautiful. I love our religion, but never instead of Jesus. May Jesus hold your loyalty over a religion. Because our religion didn't die on the cross for us. It was Jesus. So the author of Hebrews invites us to a different land. Not the land of Ur where we compare religions or practices or holiness, but rather the land of in. The land of in. Look back at Hebrews 13. Look back at Hebrews 13 from this perspective. The perspective of what it looks like to live in the land of in. That is living in Christ. 
The land of in, look at verse 1. The land of in means loving your brother. The land of in means not forgetting the stranger. The land of in means remember the prisoners. The land of in means marriage and the vows to love one another, to love another person cannot be defiled. The land of in where there is contentment. The land of in, there is contentment because all that you could ever need is in Christ, in Christ. The land of in, where the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his wonderful grace, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. The land of Ur deprives you of joy. It steals from you hope. And it will ensnare you with self pity. Whereas the writer of Hebrews is inviting you to a land, a land in Christ, in Christ alone where you are free, in Christ alone where you have brotherly love, in Christ alone where your needs and your help come straight from God. You see, the Hebrew writer here in this passage, he actually uh, references two old passages, one in Joshua 1.5, Write it down. Go back and look at it later this afternoon. Joshua 1.5. And then he references Psalms 118.6. And the reason he does this, he wants to show that the man of God needs nothing more because he has him. He has Christ. And he has his presence. And he has the help of God. He can be the winner. Nothing that man or this earth can give you can improve on what God gives us. Now, I, I know I went through these verses really fast. I went through these verses really fast, and I, I think they're too important for us to just gloss over. So look back at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. It was back in Kettering a couple years ago. When a former student of mine, a student of mine that he'd been my student in Atlanta, but he had moved to Kettering because he was going to work at the Kettering College. We got to spend time with he and his family. They came over to our home. And, of course, this had been many years since he'd been my student in academy. And he says, hey, Pastor Alex, do you remember you used to always tell us, love each other? <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot that I used to say that all the time. Whenever I noticed that there was tensions between the students, I'd be like, hey, 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 love each other. Come on, love each other. <laughs> it was my easy way of fixing things. Actually, they would just choose not to fight in front of me, which was fine with me too. But um, when he reminded me that I used to say that, 
it reminded me of a story of when I was teaching there in Georgia. A student came up to me one day and said, Pastor Alex, why do you always say love each other? I said, you know, because we are much better at showing our differences than showing our love. I never had imagined how true that would be until these past months. The disagreements have hit so many families, church families, school families, individual families, whether to vaccinate, whether to mask or not mask. Never could I have imagined that I would see fighting with God's people like this. It's hard to see. It's hard to see families and communities, churches being torn apart because of our rights. Rights to what? Rights to choose? Rights to vaccinate? Rights to make my child wear a mask? Rights to not make my child wear a mask? It's exhausting, isn't it? I'm reminded of when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus. They tried to trap Jesus in regards to paying taxes, and although that is a very different sermon, it's important to note. Jesus gave clarity to the obligations we have. If you're a follower of Jesus... You have an obligation as a follower of Jesus to build up his kingdom. Build up. Build up. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a citizen of his kingdom before you're a citizen of this land. Pastor Alex, what are you saying? I have no rights? I'm not saying that. Listen. The creator, the ruler of everything, did not consider his rights over saving you, over saving me. He was exalted because he gave up his rights. He was exalted because he lowered himself to our level of humanity. He rules from the right hand of God because he died to save us. So, love each other. That's the land of in. This is hard. Religion is easy compared to loving each other. Loving people is tiring, sometimes frustrating, and sometimes enormously difficult. It is easier to show up on Sabbath rightly dressed and not drink or smoke and, and, and not do bad things 
sometimes it's easier to do that than to love others, especially when we disagree. Loving each other is super hard work. But don't miss the implication in this passage. The implication is that when you became the follower of Jesus, you began to love one another. So continue. Continue loving. The presence of love. Catch this. This is important. The presence of love is the most convincing evidence that a Christian is saved. And that just hits you right here. Those moments when I haven't been loving, it hits me right here. You see, love is not defined in the Bible emotionally. It is defined in the Bible relationally. Love was defined by the sacrifice of Christ for a relationship with you. The sacrifice had to be done for a relationship, not just a feeling. This had to happen because sin broke that relationship. So we had to, had to have a Savior. But that's why the land of Ur is much more about my personal feelings than it is about a relationship with Jesus. This doesn't mean that emotions don't matter. Last year, we spent a whole year at Fleece and OJA talking to the kids about how emotions do matter. They do matter. God made us emotional beings. But what it means is that I'm going to choose a faith-saving relationship with Jesus over my emotions. I'm going to choose Jesus. This is where I want to help you understand the invitation to the land of in. You see, I've come to realize <laughs> that I can't love the way God has asked me to love. I can't. <laughs> I know it. I feel it. I'm honest about it. I'm real about it. I can't do it. So... What am I supposed to do? I must accept the invitation to an in-Christ relationship where loving my brother is not dependent on me or my feelings. Not dependent on my feelings. Rather, it is fully dependent on Christ who lives in me and I in him. I don't have what it takes to do it all correctly or right or perfect. But Christ who lives in me, he has clothed me with his robe. Christ who lives in me, he is the author and perfecter of my faith. Christ who lives in me, he is able to do immeasurably more than I ask or imagine. Christ in, Christ through.
was about six years ago. I had a long conversation on, a, on an airplane, <laughs> on an airplane with a young woman, a young woman in her early 20s. I had seen her standing at the gate. She was very tall, very beautiful, very thin. You know, I'm always suspicious of thin people. How do they do that? How do they do that? It's all good. Someday Lord will explain. But it's okay. So we ended up being seated to, next to each other there on the airplane. We shared the niceties. We shared where we were going, where we were coming from, and what we did for a living. When I told her that I was a pastor, she popped. It happens to me often that there's some kind of reaction when I say I'm a pastor. Either people shut me down right away and they don't want to have anything to do with me, or they engage. And oftentimes they engage because they've been hurt by church. Or maybe they think by God. When I told her I was a pastor, her eyes filled with tears. She explained that she worked in a large marketing firm and that there was a man there that she fell in love with. The problem was that he was married. She confessed that she knew it was wrong, but that she couldn't leave him. She explained that she wasn't a Christian, that she wasn't anything. She'd never really believed much of anything. She said that she kind of believed in God, but it didn't mean anything to her in her life, in her everyday life. I'm certain that I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to tell her about an unending, never-changing, unconditional love. I told her about some of my past hurts, betrayals, brokenness, and how I had found one that could heal. One whose love was real. I told her about the love of Jesus and what he did to save me, what he did to save her. We spent the better part of three hours talking, crying. As we were nearing the destination, she turned to me. She turned to me. She said, I believe in Jesus. I accept him as my Savior. But Alex, what do I do about my feelings and this relationship? I told her, spend every day falling in love with Jesus. Every day, spend every day falling in love with Jesus. He will give you the strength to let go of what could never, ever fill you. He'll give you the strength to let go. We kept in touch for about a year. And she shared with me that she left the man, the cheating husband. She shared with me that she found a Christian church that was near her apartment. 
She shared with me that she was attending a small group Bible study and that she had fallen in love with Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Nothing will satisfy you but Jesus. No money, no power, no status, no relationship, no position, nothing, uh, nothing anywhere ever can fill your soul but Jesus. The enemy, the devil, he's going to push and he's going to force you to live in the land of earth. But then there's Jesus. He invites. That's so much better. He invites. He invites you. He came down from heaven and invites you to live in the land of in. In him, there's hope. In him, there's peace. In him, there's healing. In him, there's grace. In him, there's forgiveness. In him, there's goodness. In him, there's contentment. In him, there's unbelievable, unabashed, unconditional, relentless, pursuing love. Which land do you want to live in? Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name. The sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. I'm so double-minded. A plank I sing with dirty hands and a heart divided. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let Sinners, the one who's riding in the sand, made the 
righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember we are all the least of these. Let the memory of your mercy bring your people to their knees. Nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines of love like you did? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointed fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You love every lost cause, you reach for the outcast, for the leper and the lame, they're the reason that you came. Lord, I was the lost cause, and I was the just like me, grateful leper at your feet. Cause you are good, you are good, and your love endures forever. Gracious Father, you are our friend. You've asked us, Lord, you've invited us to see Jesus. May we choose every day to turn our eyes on Jesus. May we choose every day to love like Jesus. May we choose every day to live in the land of in, in Christ alone. Help us reject the land of earth. 
Help us resist the enemy's tempting. And Father, because I know, I believe you're coming soon, Lord, may we, your people, speak love, show love, and be the love of Christ to a dying world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Just want to remind you that if you'd like to have some extra prayer, we have elders that are willing to meet up front here with you. Um, I just pray that your Sabbath is amazing and that you'll spend this week turning your eyes on Jesus.